Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. I'm Dee, one of the managing editors at Annie Femme, and this is part two of our episode about asexual and aromantic representation in Japanese media. I will be joined on this episode by Sai and Alex, and if you would like to hear about all the places you can find us online, check out part one. This part would be confusing without listening to part one anyway. So the next two titles we want to talk about are actually our last two titles and the most recent ones. Um, they are by the same mangaka, uh, Utai Saki, who is uncertain of where they lie on the sexuality and uh, romantic spectrum, um, but have talked in author's notes and stuff about feeling like they might be ace, they might be aromantic, um, that they said their gender, I'm using they pronouns, by the way, because they've said they feel like their gender is also obscure, was the wording that in the in the author's note. Um so I'm not going to, they, they do not explicitly identify as Ace or Arrow, so I'm not going to say they are that, but there has certainly been an exploration in that, dire- leaning that direction for them as a creator. So so much like um, Kamatani, I think to an extent you can talk about this in an own voices sort of uh, situation, uh, regardless of whatever labels uh, Isaki ends up settling on for themselves that feel right. Um, so the first title is a one-shot that you actually can buy in the U.S. thanks to Iridori Comics. Um, all of these titles are available in English, licensed readily pretty much everywhere for folks at home. Um, is This is a short story called Minekun is Asexual. And this is an interesting one on this list because it is told almost entirely from the perspective of Murai, who is his um, short-lived girlfriend. Um, who is herself um, alloromantic, allosexual. So it comes from that perspective, but the boy she is dating, Mine-kun, or young man, they're in college, um, is is an asexual character. So, Sai, I know this is one you really wanted to talk about, so I would love for you to take point on this if you'd like. Yeah, so Mine-kun is asexual was the first time I encountered, like I'm, I'm sure with a lot of other people, um, Isaki Uta's work. Mm-hmm. And... I I have really strong feelings about it because it was the first time that I ever saw a cis male character be labeled two things, and that was biromantic. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it is it is explicitly said that Mine Kun is biromantic and also asexual and aromantic. Like Mine Kun is well, and I I you know I I I'm saying the aromantic that's more of a reading because Mine Kun does obviously date someone, but mm-hmm. it's also made explicit that like Mine Kun is like kissing and like sex that kind of physical pda you know ranging to physical intimacy is kind of off off the like um not off the charts off uh not not something that he's interested in um Mm -hmm. and i so when i read this like sorry 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 i have to take a sec are are you so are you equating that to those that to romantic gestures then we we talked earlier about how the the concept of romantic is is sort of um open to interpretation so i just want to kind of get a get a a read for where you stand on that i think i think for me being aromantic i am equating it to romantic Mm -hmm. and that's that's not like that's not explicit but as a reader that's kind of what i'm equating it to is like minekun kind of wanting this romantic relationship that's not romantic if that makes sense. And by that, what I mean is like this room, you know, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend labeled relationship that mm-hmm. has this really intense care and bond, but isn't romantic in the way of like an aloe romantic relationship. And that, that is, I will, uh, to clarify, that is much more of me reading that into it. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the things that are, are very much so on the table are Minekun is asexual and Minekun is biromantic. Uh Um, but I think that, I think there's something of a conflation that happens of like, he's biromantic and says like, okay, you know, like I am attracted to both men and women, but I have no interest in sexual intimacy, but Uh also does these things that I think might be maybe by an alloromantic, um, reader like perceived as more friendship and maybe, and I think maybe this is, this is where maybe I check myself on that might be my own views of romanticism and like what we expect from romantic relationships kind of blurring that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the perception of, because we perceive all of his actions through the character who does want that more traditional romantic and sexual relationship that possibly also colors the way that he's kind of, the way that he comes across. 
but I think yeah. I think I don't, yeah, he he doesn't want sexual intimacy, but he also sort of doesn't want to hold hands or sort of you know do any of that kind of stuff and all things. He, he just kind of wants to hang out. God bless him. And to the main character, that feels like a lack of intimacy, whereas um, you know of any kind. Um, whereas I don't know, I can't. I, I was like, I would just hang out. <laughs> I suppose I also say the alloromantic reading as well, because like there's a part where Mine Kun says like, I could probably do a kiss, but it isn't something I want. And, mm-hmm. and I will say I, I tend to associate kissing with like a romantic thing and not a sexual thing. That's, okay. that's an interesting, again, philosophical conversation to have is where does the, where yeah. do we draw the line between what is a romantic act and a sexual act? Because they're so often bundled together. Well, and also, I think that's I I am listening and learning because as as I have as I have mentioned offline, you guys aren't allowed to make me. Go, I'm not allowed to go down a semantic hole in this episode. We talked about this offline. <laughs> yes. You're not allowed. I'm not doing this. Um, I I become less and less certain that I that anybody knows what romance is. So I become less and less certain how to define it because it seems like everybody has a very different idea. I also think it is. I think much like gender, it is very culturally rooted and i think it has become so socially speaking again i i think that there is a difference between romantic attraction and sexual attraction like is the way people experience those things mm-hmm. but i also think that as a society they have become they are so intertwined that it mm-hmm. becomes increasingly difficult to pull them apart um mm. because in some cultures kissing is not a sexual act like you will kiss a family member and it's it's not you know it wouldn't be considered or even it wouldn't even necessarily be considered romantic it you know it's it, it's also very contextual and i know that you know but in other cultures parts of the us and also i would say japan physical con- there is le- there's less physical contact in those countries mm. so like for mine entering into trying to enter into a relationship with somebody i could see him feeling like even something like holding hands with somebody of the opposite gender is like intricately an act of like the first step towards a sexual relationship. Does, does that make sense? That does. That does. And I, I, I really appreciate that because something you just said, like, like I said, like this is partially me having to check myself because like, mm-hmm. I do think romance and sex, even for me as someone who's like very, I don't want to say I'm divorced from sex because like I'm asexual, but I'm not sex repulsed. Um, mm-hmm. Not in the least. I just don't personally engage in sex. I don't really see the, n- <laughs> I feel like I was about to say, I don't really see the need. I don't for myself. Like it's not one of your hobbies. Yeah. It's yeah. not a hobby. I don't like chocolate and I don't like sex uh, without like that emotional bond. Like that changes things. But like, I do think there's this conflation because I said all of that and now I'm like, do I actually know what romance is? And I think I do, (laughs) but I also think I don't (laughs) because I I think it's become so conflated. And it's, and you know, and maybe it is, it's one of those things where it's, it's different in the context of the individual person, which is why it's, it it is a word that becomes harder and harder to define because Mm -hmm. different people, like, I mean, it's that same idea of like, you might be out like, having fun with somebody and you think that you're having like a friendly conversation and they think you're flirting with them, right? Like, because yeah, different right. people oh. have different, have different levels of what is or isn't like a romantic overture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it, I think it starts to get sort of, sort of tangly there mm. with, and with, you know, oh, I don't like talking about myself, but yeah, fine. Fuck it. Let's go. Something with Mine Kun is that sense of, you know, I mean, in high school when, when we weren't really, when people were like, kind of getting into figuring out sexuality but like you weren't necessarily like it wasn't necessarily expected mm-hmm. i was a lot more like physically touchy close with my friends um because it wasn't necessarily like linked to sexuality in the way that it became when i got to college and i yeah. had to like i had to really reconfigure some barriers and navigate those and suddenly and then suddenly like physical contact that I used to like I started to become kind of wary of because it was like oh shit what if this is what if this is considered a sexual like the first step towards a like sexual relationship what if this is considered what's the word I'm looking for the connotations change and the the expectations around it you don't want to I don't I don't want to give them the wrong idea and then suddenly and then suddenly something that what used to be comfortable is now uncomfortable for me because I act because I am sex repulsed I I actively 
dislike it. We watched porn for funsies in college a couple of times, and I like actually got nauseous. I did not oh, care for that. Yeah. Um, um, I can I can do erotica. I can do like like a certain level of erotica, like if it's very focused on like character relationships and emotions. Um, yep, mm-hmm. I can get into that. No problem. Um, a tasteful sex scene, no problem. Uh, the second it gets explicit, I'm outie. Uh, yeah. um, and <laughs> and again, sure. not to say there's anything wrong with that. If any anyone out there who likes porn, who likes sex, good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> I I do not. So that you know that started to complicate relationships. So like when I see Mina sort of balking at like the cuddles and the kissing, I guess for me, I was able to kind of map that onto that concern of like, oh, I told her at the beginning that this, nothing's going to happen. Is she, am I leading her? Does she think I'm leading her on? I should probably stop her now. And, and that, that difficulty of, that difficulty of being an asexual person in a relationship with an allosexual person. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It hit me. It hit me very hard with Mina Kuhn. Um, because I do get the sense, and you get this from his Love the Answer as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. I, I get the sense he is sex repulsed. Like, it's not like he, you know, he really does not want to do it. It's not just no interest, like, actively would dislike it. So, um, well, and I, I that's where I, I am. <laughs> I think that, but I think that's fair. And I, I, I think, because I think, I think we have evidence that he is, he is sex repulsed because of how this story ends, right? Like, because mm-hmm. um, I remember the first time I read this, y'all. I was anxious as as the page count got up because like you don't really know how things are going to end when like Mariah kind of she kind of pushes for like the you know the the kind of sexual overtone and and I think Mm -hmm. for me I will say as a Japanese speaker what kind of threw me was she says embrace and embrace in Japanese kind of has a little bit of a different meaning embrace Mm -hmm. can often be used in a sexual context so like I do remember like when I read it being like oh no oh no (laughs) and thankfully it doesn't go there but I, I think your reading of it and like your feelings are really valid and I really appreciate the perspective because I think me being a not sex repulsed asexual who like also I, I I am someone who telegraphs a lot of my sexuality through kink and so like I'm very much so someone who's not sex repulsed um and I often I it's not that I can't understand that perspective it's just a perspective I haven't lived um mm-hmm. and I think that's really valuable when it comes to Mine Kun as asexual because like it being telegraphed through Murai and kind of through this kind of fraught relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, she, because Murai, Murai says she's fine with it, but like she still expects them oh, to she... eventually have a sexual relationship. And it's, like that's, yeah. that's eventually, or maybe even not expect, but she wants it, right? Like even if she's not expecting it from him, it's still something she desires. So it, you know, becomes a point of conflict. I mean, I read this basically back to back with Is Love the Answer in about 48 okay. hours. So I I mean, we'll get to that in a minute, but I, I see them in conversation with each other in a really interesting way. But certainly Minikun is interesting to me because it, I mean, even just structurally, because it, I sort of got to the end and went, oh, that just kind of ended and was initially disappointed. Sure and then kind of had the thought, oh, this doesn't really feel like a constructed narrative. It kind of feels like a memory. It feels like an anecdote of someone going, oh, yeah, I had this relationship in college, didn't really work out. This is kind of what happened. Because, you know, real life doesn't often have, you know, nice payoff and pacing and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's definitely an argument to be made that having it from the perspective of a non-ace character kind of looking at the ace character, it changes the dynamic. And there's a certain conversation to be had where you would say that's a very outdated kind of method. The sympathy and the empathy and the perspective should be anchored in the ace, you know, in the the non-normative character rather than them having kind of be a thing that an experience that this other person learns from. I think that is fair, Mm -hmm. but I also think, I don't know, this one, it weirdly worked because it, I mean, again, like you're sort of, you're looking at, you're looking at Mine Kun through the perspective of Mirai, but you're, I don't know, I I mean, it's a complicated one and it's a very bittersweet one as well. And I think that it's... You know the the kind of heartbreak of the end of it is concept uh, contextualized differently because of who the protagonist in the story is. But I also I don't know I kind of I kind of find that interesting because this as you know as bittersweet as it is and as much as it may be considered in a certain context kind of not great representation, this is a real thing that happens in lots of relationships especially in that kind of new adulthood, you know, kind of thing where you are still figuring out what you kind of want 
and you may go barreling into a relationship with certain expectations. And I mean, on a representation standpoint, it was kind of, I mean, not nice, nice is the wrong word, but it was kind of nice to see the sort of flip of the norm where it's the girl or, you know, the, the woman in the, in the in an MF relationship who's kind of the more sexually aggressive, pushy one, because usually the, the expectation is that's going to be flipped. And, you know, like you said before, Deets, of course, women are, you know, chaste and, you know, neutral about sex and men really want it. That was, you know, that was kind of cool to see that. That, that flipped around because again it ha- will happen all the time in real life but you won't necessarily it's not necessarily the pattern that media likes to fall into so this I, I totally agree this is a complicated one kind of because it is so because it's so realistic in a weird way like because it speaks so much what feels like a very just like messy real experience that somebody had and doesn't fit quite nicely into what we expect from a story and thus doesn't fit quite nicely into what we think of as like a good queer storytelling you know whatever whatever so I I think that if I had just read it on its own I would have been kind of like ah well all right but because I immediately followed it up with a different work from the same author seeing them kind of explore similar ideas differently I was like oh okay this is kind of part one in a journey that we're going on it's almost like they exist together in an anthology sort of uh, of of experiences I don't know what do you think it helps that Uta Isaki didn't write the next one during like one of the strongest typhoons that hit Japan that year (laughs) (laughs) like like maybe maybe they were able to just like explore a little bit deeper because the power wasn't going out feel bad for them and that uh that afterward but I I I do think you're right that maybe because I I still really hold this one really dear to my heart but I also had a lot of trouble revisiting it because I was like, oof, been there. <laughs> like, this hurts a lot. Like, this is... It's kind of... Yeah. It's a little too personal. <laughs> it's sort of a devastating one. It is nice that there's a little postscript that's like, oh, by the way, Mina Kun met another ace person and now they're in a relationship and he's quite happy with his boyfriend and they, they go to Marvel movies yeah. and play video games together. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Can we talk about how Murai kept his bread container, though? Mm. <laughs> which again feels like such a like a real detail from like something that would have happened in a person's life just like oh yeah I broke up with this guy I've still got his bread container though can't give that back like, yeah for know. folks at home uh there's a at the end when Mina is kind of realizing the relationship is over and he's like oh I left some of my dvds over there and also my bread container I hope she gives them back and then he kind of has a moment where he's like oh I think I actually did love her and then kind of shakes himself and moves on and thankfully he he has a happy ending but there's a little postscript that's like she gave back the movies but she kept the bread container like rude like it's just like mm. oh that's the kind of thing you throw god i have tupperware that in my house that i've had for like a year because somebody loaned it to me and i just keep forgetting to give it back and when it's a breakup like you at a, there's a certain moment where it's like well i can't give this back to them now exactly so, oh. this is my tupperware now um. <laughs> He, he got it. He got the movies back, so that's good. That was the most um, important thing. I will say, like, I mean, talking about you know, like ace coding and perhaps ace stereotypes. I did have a moment reading it where I was like, oh, okay, so he's like really into movies and he's more into fiction than than real relationships. That's kind of a stereotype. And then I thought about it and I was like, yes, it is. But this has also literally happened to me before, so maybe that's the wrong. <laughs> so maybe just looking at it through with that lens is not quite the. 100 100 percent uh right to be looking at i mean i mean there is kind of the running joke that like because like ace arrow people aren't constantly busy in relationships they have a lot more time to devote to their hobbies yes (laughs) so just just especially the thing like um, i have oh go ahead yeah (laughs) just especially the thing of like he invites her over to watch a movie and she's like "Ooh, is he inviting me over to you know watch a movie but he's literally just inviting her over to watch a movie, which I have done. That has happened to me. Are we going to literally Netflix and chill or? <laughs> Hold up a second. Is Netflix and chill sexual? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was, well, yeah, it was like, we'll watch Netflix. And yeah, oh, it's no. code for let's fuck. Yeah. No, if you invite me over for Netflix, we watch a Netflix. We're going to Netflix <laughs> and chill. Come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop kissing on me. I need to pay attention to this part. It's really important. I want to see Wednesday Adams be Wednesday Adams. This is a good show. What are you doing? 
I feel like it would be so much easier to all the aloe romantics in the world. If you want to have sex, please just say that. <laughs> Don't come just up with it. Just say it. It's very confusing. Because <laughs> if you say Netflix and chill, I'm going to Dollar Tree and I'm buying a bunch of like dollar twenty five candy for us to share during this Netflix session. Just, just um, we're getting blankets, we're getting popcorn, we are settling in, got the sound system yeah. on. Right. Uh, I'm not wearing lingerie, I'm wearing my comfiest pants and my hoodie, and we're right, yeah. settling in for the Sounds evening. Sounds like a great evening. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope Minikun has that in his new relationship that he gets at the end game of the story. And I hope that our, our main girlie gets what she wanted as well. Um and I guess R.A.P. to her friend, like the character, the postscript was like, oh, this girl was actually a lesbian and was really into Mirai, but that didn't work out. <laughs> I do it love that work. fleeting nature of Mine-kun where it's like, yeah, they were in college and none of the none of the things that they felt at that moment, like it, it didn't last and that's fine. And they've moved mm-hmm. on and they're all happy now. Like they all yeah. found the relationships that they needed to find that worked for them. So, mm-hmm. um, so it, it was nice to have that little postscript. And again, it is very true, um, very grounded, I think, in in that kind of messy reality of college, which mm-hmm. speaking of is a segue, if I ever heard one, into Isaki's second second work on uh, featuring as- asexual and aromantic characters mm. um, is Love the Answer. This just came out and is one of the reasons why the podcast is happening now because I was waiting for this volume to drop uh, so we could talk about it. Um, this is a much more polished story than Minakun, yes. I would say. Um, and all three of us have read it, which is terrific. So we can all talk about it. Um, just kind of as a note for folks at home, there are three characters in this story who are who fall on the ace arrow spectrum. Uh, Chica is the main character. She uh, currently identifies as ace arrow, although like the story kind of pushes on the idea of like she might change that. That's what fits right now. She's still kind of figuring herself out, and that's a okay. And we're going to talk about that later as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's also uh, Professor Ishi. Um, who is an older character? They, I'm going to say they. I don't know if the if the story ever actually uses pronouns for them, but they they identify as um, X gender in the like character bios at the end. Mm-hmm. They are, I believe, also asexual and aromantic. Um, they are not sex repulsed. Uh, Chika is, and then there's also Ume Chan, who is or Ume Chan Senpai, if you want to use Chika's full name for him. <laughs> um, he is he is another character in the story. He is asexual but not aromantic and is also sex repulsed um, which becomes a point of trauma in the later chapters oh we're going to talk about ume um just kind of overall thoughts on this one guys i was absolutely delighted to find a series that not only featured start an ace character but also like had a variety of ace arrow characters to like give you that sense of this is a very individual experience and like you can't say that everyone who is ace or arrow or both experiences like this exact set of feelings you know what i mean oh yeah mm-hmm. I, I, sure. cried I, love... <gasps> I cried my way you cried my way i cried my way through it because like <sighs> so like growing up i i mean I'm, i know people who have listened to the podcast before know that like i am a fab growing up with black womanhood is kind of like nothing else because because you're so especially in north america especially in america you're so divorced especially if you're a fat black woman which at one point in my life i was um if you're a fat black woman whether you're cis or if you're afab if you're marginalized within that blackness you're not allowed to be sexual right like you're not allowed to be attractive so you spend a lot of your life trying desperately so desperately to to fit this kind of expectation to 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 be mm-hmm. attractive and to be sexual and that was a lot of my life and so like reading this really hit home to like kind of it made me reflect because a lot of my life has been spinning my wheels and trying to fit into what society does to do what we're supposed to 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 want to get married to want to have a relationship to want these things and there are things I want I would like a relationship I mm-hmm. I would like that companionship but like, I don't want to get married and I don't want kids and I don't want these other hallmarks. And, and, sure, and yeah. Chica is really going through that of like, you know, starts her story. And, and I should say this manga does have a content warning for sexual assault. It's on uh-huh. the table of contents page. You know, Chica starts the story with a pretty strong inciting incident, but is still a sexual 
inclusive and exclusive of that. And it's just this really, it was this really emotional like trajectory that really got to me because it made me feel human. And I have not often yeah. felt human as someone mm-hmm. less. So I, I feel more human with my asexuality than I do with my aromanticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I still really struggle to feel like I'm, I'm a person sometimes because of society's expectations around that. And this kind of made me feel like myself. And that was, that was really nice. That's terrific. I'm, I'm really glad yeah. you had that experience with this series. Um, and Chica talks about that too, right? And we saw that we see this imagery in uh, our dreams at dusk as well, but like she talks about in the early chapters, like feeling like an alien, right? Yeah. Like that sense of, that sense of, of not feeling human because everyone around her is like, well, surely you want to fall in love and then have sex with that person or, or the opposite. Like, oh, well, I mean, once you kiss them, then you'll just naturally fall in love um, because those two things go hand in hand and everybody wants that, right? Like it's yeah. such a, the series really digs deep into that, that sense of, of alienation that is not for Chica. It's not like, it's not like she's getting bullied at school, right? Like it, a lot of it is, is internalized or very sort of subtle, but it's it I think it does a really good job of, of showing how that can eat away at you and make you feel isolated even yeah. if you technically have friends and like get along with people around you, you know? That's true. Mm. I mean, some of the most harrowing kind of parts are when her friends are being kind of overly supportive and trying to hook her up with right. guys and like telling her, Don't worry, mm-hmm. you'll find someone new and she's like, I just don't want this and I don't know how to communicate it. So it's that like mm-hmm. uh, you know, death from a thousand cuts kind of isolation of just like just not Mm -hmm. feeling in tune with what is supposedly normal Mm. um and that fact that phrase normal is something she comes back to multiple times throughout even in terms Mm -hmm. of things like you know the tv shows that she would watch that like you know her friends at at school were like oh well you know it's not normal to like that at this age so you're doing it wrong and so she's trying to fit herself into this mold where she just doesn't Mm. I think of like that 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 sequence where she's like her her parents ask her like what do you want for your birthday and she's like a wee and she says it and follows it up with like that's what everyone else wants yeah and like oh, yeah. She, she just says she says mm-hmm. a wee she doesn't say like I want a wee and like I don't know why Bayonetta was the first game that came to mind because a child should not play Bayonetta <laughs> but like I want a wee and Bayonetta too and you're like and like she just says a wee because she's just trying so hard to fit in and 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 mm-hmm. I that's real like that's mm-hmm. that's a real feel and it yeah, and like, it hurts. I... I resonated with that a lot. And yeah, I, I agree with you, Sai. It's it's a painful one. I just, I don't know. I, I think this is just the human condition to a certain extent. But certainly I, looking back on my like, you know, especially in my sort of early teens, I was just like, I just felt like I was doing, like trying to construct myself out of paper mache, trying to just like, just be like, all right, well, what do I, what am I supposed to be doing? What are the people around me doing? I guess this is yeah. what I should do. I guess this is what I should like. I guess this is how I should talk about, you know, boys and love and stuff, I suppose. Um, it's just like just an exercise in mimicry and that feeling of like everyone else has a script <laughs> and you've somehow missed yours or yours has like pages missing and you're just like kind of trying to mm-hmm. trying to do bad improv through your life as a human <laughs> Um, and you know, mm-hmm. and not knowing until until you're much older, kind of why that was. Um, yeah. Which again, you know, I mean that that sense of sort of trying to put yourself together from different influences. I think it's something everyone goes through, but certainly it hits yeah. mm-hmm. uh, hard for a, for a queer experience um, in a in a different way. That's always really interesting to see explored in different fictional works. Yeah, yeah, and especially I think a queer experience that is in a lot of ways not very well known right like Mm because i think there's some moments in the story too where people are like oh and i think this happens and i want to be a wall as well they're like oh well then you must just be gay right like oh well if you you don't like sex with dudes okay well then you're just gay so just go have sex with women that's fine it's like no Mm -hmm. i don't want to have sex with anybody Mm -hmm. um and and you know that sense of that that kind of that revelatory i think i said that right moment when she fought when she like takes the like test and finds the word asexual and finds the word aromantic and is like oh my god there's a word for this yeah um that that moment hit very hard because i mean none of us are um none of us are are youngins so we probably all can remember like the moment when we first heard that word and we were probably like in a were you guys also adults when you I like was, became aware of what asexuality 20, was i was 21 
Yeah. So like I was yeah. definitely an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I specifically, I was in my early twenties and several years deep into a sexual relationship. So that was an uh-huh. interesting experience to go, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, that's why this is off. Huh? Just, ah, oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Oh, yeah. fact, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I guess is again, tiny anecdote that kind of ties in is that um I had been, I specifically remember this. I was driving in a car with a friend and we followed each other on Tumblr because that was, that was the thing that you were doing back then. And my friend made a comment. They were like, you, you sure do reblog a lot of like, um, like comics and information slides and stuff about asexuality. And I was like, I just think it's really interesting. And then like the X-Files theme music started playing in the back of my brain. I was like, wait, <laughs> what if this is interesting to me personally, not just conceptually? And then I went, ah, beans. Oh, no. <laughs> which is kind of also what happened with the the gender. But isn't it funny how these things often go together, Um, which is also something Chica talks about, which I thought was really interesting. But just, yeah, like these ideas, you can be, these ideas can be swirling around you, but you can have this notion of like, well, that can't be me though, right? Because like I'm ordinary, surely, which, you know, Again, that notion of ordinariness, of normalness, is something she that this manga really pushes back against in a way that I really love. I was going to say, yeah, like she talks about it in terms of like feeling genderless while still, you know, kind of feeling aligned with being a woman, but like just never having questioned it and how that ties in. So, yeah, I do think it's, it's, it is kind of funny how all these things kind of come together. I've never felt more seen than when she took that test. <laughs> it was like... It was like you're asexual, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that moment because it was also a Tumblr moment." Mm-hmm. God bless, t- God uh-huh. bless Tumblr. <laughs> has its issues, but it also has its highlights for sure. <laughs> I actually had a friend bring up the word like as an aside in a conversation at a bar, and I was like, "Huh." And then I, then being me, rum- ruminated on it for another like three years before I went, "Yeah, that's yeah. it." <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah, gotta let these things mull over. Much like Chica, I like to be certain words mean things. Yeah. Yes. And so, which I actually really, one of, uh, should we talk about the other characters first before we get into broader themes? I think yeah, we should. That's... I think we should, because they're all going to kind of tie together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Ishii is the professor who's older and kind of is just chill and has everything figured out. And, and it's gender goals. And his gender goals, yes, very much so. Um, re- really excellent androgynous look going on um, in the comic as well. Um, has a husband who travels a lot, and they've just been best friends forever. And at one point, we're just like, hey, why don't we just get married so that, like, if one of us gets sick or ends up, like, or hurt or something, we have somebody who can visit us in the hospital. I, I love that so I, much. I, think, I love I, that I was just because I, I think you're forgetting that they did because... Ishii's husband started vomiting blood. God, that's right. He gets like they don't they don't ever say what. I assume it was like an ulcer or something, but he gets like super sick yeah. and nobody could visit him in the hospital and afterwards they were like, "Hey, what if how about we get married so that never happens again?" Yeah. The practicality. You love it. And they seem to have a very, I mean, they seem to have like a very, you know, I, I'm going to say loving, not in a, like a romantic sense necessarily, but like they seem to have mm. a very loving and supportive relationship. Like they they clearly care about each other. Um and it's just Ishii is is that adult we that queer adult we all wish we had in our lives, right? The one who seems like they kind of got it figured yeah. out, and mm-hmm. you're like, I can be that someday. That's obtainable. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's good. I think it's good to have mm-hmm. Ishii in the story as kind of a, a grounding point for the the college kids who are very much still kind of figuring their stuff out. Yeah, I I really like Professor Ishii because I think it's interesting because I couldn't help but draw parallels to like. Uh, our dreams at dusk right Mm -hmm. because you have the same situation of this kind of shared living space this kind of shared community space and like professor ishii is just great because this really is someone that like i know i would have benefited from having Mm -hmm. and maybe i did have and i just didn't know yeah um but like from the moment they come into the manga you're like oh uh uh like like all state i'm in good hands (laughs) like i'm gonna be secure Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be taken care of (laughs) they're just a great character they they are an excellent portrayal of like a loving relationship that is not romantic or like sexual mm-hmm. with someone they care about very powerfully. Yeah. 
just married mar- married their best yeah. friend. I mean, isn't that everyone's dream? Right, the best <gasps> friend. Yeah. So, ah, oh, and just uh, yeah, I, I love a good um, you know queer mentor character, especially in mm-hmm. something that is quite framed as a coming of age story. Yeah, because yeah, it, again, it adds that sense of futurity. Like, oh, there is you know, I, I can I can be like this as an adult. You know, this is not something that's uh, a fleeting phase or something I'm going to grow out of. This is like one day I can be. I can be that person, and yeah. I know. Yeah, I always find it very heartening as well because I never, I never had that as a teenager. No, but neither. I, I yeah. working as a working as a teacher, teaching undergraduates, I kind of not to the same extent, but I have kind of been that person for a couple of my students, That's and I always like. I, I play it. I play it real cool in the classroom, and then I go home, and I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> like I get real, I get real. You know, it makes me all gooey because <laughs> it's just like it's such an important role to have. Mm-hmm. No, it and, really is. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to be. I would love to be the cool, the cool mentor character in one of these coming of age stories. <laughs> it, so- it sounds like you're. It sounds like you're on your way there. So, oh, keep it up. Keep keep up the good it work at uni. Full. No, it's great. On the other hand, of course, we have Ume. Oh, who is also Ume? The best. Uh, <laughs> another another one two punch of toxic masculinity and queer phobia. Hi, Ume. How are you, mm. bud? Uh, how's everyone feeling about Ume? Really love him. Mm-hmm. I like that he is. I think there's something to be said about a character that is kind of just mean. <laughs> But, just kind of but not, yeah, but not part. like in like a not like in like a cruel or abusive way. Just he's just kind of a rude what twenty one year old. I'm not sure exactly how old he's supposed to be. Yeah. but he's probably like a he's 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 junior in college or something like that. So I, I was gonna say I took I took him to be about twenty. Sure, like an adult, but like you know yeah, and like I just like that he's he's not rude in a bullying no. way. He's just like also got his own stuff going mm-hmm. on. And he's just like, yo, you took the room I was going to stay in because I wanted to be there because the cat's there. And like, I don't like you What a mood. I feel that. You stole stole the cat room from me and now I'll never forgive you. These are priorities. Yeah, I love, I do like how sort of blunt and like kind of, yeah, that he is, especially in contrast to the very sort of mellow, um, you know, wise kind of uh, vision that the professor is. He's like... Yeah, complete other type of personality. So you get a beautiful spectrum of representation in there, as well as both of them being really funny when they interact. I like that any time that Chica talks to him, he's like, you doing some chores. <laughs> like, I got to weed. I got to weed the yard. So like, that's you. Then you can talk to me. <laughs> You're just like this. He's so mean. Where it's like oh where Ishii wants to be a mentor, Ume does not. Right? He's not actually interested yeah. in being the queer mentor character. He's like super not. He's like go read a book, figure it out. Um, yep. I don't. I don't want that to be my role in your life. Um, although they do, they do develop a, a friendship and, and a closeness by the end of it that I that I quite liked. Um, I also th- I liked him a lot. I also think Ume's story is one that we don't see very often and is very important as far as like queer narratives in that you know he is a um, he is a cis man who is um, I believe he describes himself as heteroromantic like he likes girls yeah. but he is also a sex repulsed asexual and he struggles with that in a way that is very different from Chica because of the expectations around guys being like the the person who takes the lead in sexual encounters and who wants to have sex mm-hmm. and is horny all the time. And he mm-hmm. goes through a lot of trauma that is like, I mean, yeah. socially inflicted, I guess is how I would describe it. Cause it's not like anyone's like forcing him mm-hmm. into relationships, but he feels like he has to do these things. And so he just keeps like mm-hmm. forcing himself into sexual relationships and like getting physically ill over it. And and yeah. then, and then, and then, uh, you know, unintentionally hurting the other person who has no idea why any of this is going on. And I think that also, <laughs> that also hit for me. Um, because when you're, you know, if you don't realize that you're ace and you're trying to have an aloe relationship, um, things can get messy, both for you and your, your partner who also has no, he's like, why, why, what am I doing wrong? So I, I thought Ume's story was, was very important to have and also like, hit pretty hard there like a lot of Isaki's work does oh yeah it 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 feels like so much of this this volume this really complete longer story is in kind of a conversation with Mine Kun as asexual especially with Ume mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I feel kind of like Mine Kun walked so Isaki Uta could write Ume 
to fly yeah because ume is like he's very he's very open like there's that scene where he basically i don't think you see him vomit but it's implied that like he's it's a close thing that he's about to throw up after he has sex right, yeah and and it is really powerful to see that because like one there's not a lot of cis male rep for asexuality but also like yeah with 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 men are positioned in japanese society the same way they are positioned in north american society the same way they're positioned in australian society i'm going to presume which is that like men are you know they're the they got the sexual prowess Mm -hmm. and and they know what they know what they're doing and and like that's really harmful because like some men just probably don't want to have sex yeah. and it's very it's a sex is a very frightening thing when like you a a when it is a new concept that you're engaging with with your body but also when like you don't want to have mm-hmm. it it's it's very very frightening and so i i really appreciated that perspective of having a cis guy talk about like you know i i, I was tr- i was just trying to figure it out and like having to reckon with the fact of like yeah you probably hurt a lot of people but like also what does it say that society gives that as your only answer like as the Mm -hmm. only solution to this is that you have to just literally fuck around and find out Mm -hmm. like like Um, he 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 feels like he has to force himself to keep doing this because he's like this is what i'm supposed to be like where yeah. you know at, yeah. at the very least chica has i say this as if it's a good thing it's in the the one situation where uh sex shaming women works out is when you're asexual because you're like oh right i'm not supposed to want sex it's fine um but you know like, chica, <laughs> chica doesn't have that um chica doesn't have that that necessarily as much so like there's social pressure but not as much because it's more like oh you'll fall in love and then you'll you'll make love whereas um yeah you know ume feels like well, and, and, you know, I think there's also that element of uh, Ume does does have romantic attraction to people. Like, he does, he's like, oh, I do like them. Mm-hmm. I do want to spend time with them. I do want to do all this stuff. So why why not this why not this ex, this other step? Why is this step not okay for me? Um, and so I think there's that right. that's an additional element of, of confusion that he goes through. And the series doesn't dwell on it. Like, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's relatively brief and constrained, and the pacing in this series is quite good. Um, but I think it, it touches on those conflicts um, in a way that is like very, very real and uh, sympathetic to the and, character. And very human. Yes. It's, it's very human because I, I, my biggest hope for people that pick up is Love the Answer is that cis men who have experienced sex repulsion and have toyed with the notion of asexuality. I, I, my biggest hope is that they pick this up in particular because I think Ume, Ume offers like a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing mm-hmm. of like you can be, you can have romantic attraction, have these deep, deep, fulfilling, passionate feelings. But like if someone tells you or expects you to have sex, that's not fair to you. And you don't have to, you don't have to force yourself to do mm-hmm. something, nor should you. And I, I think that's a really powerful thing to see because I think, I, I like I said, this is really... It, it like it feels in conversation with Mine Kun. Kind of, it, it feels like Uta Isaki is actually kind of rectifying some of the things. Because uh, I don't know if y'all noticed, there was definitely a character that looks like Mirai, and it took me aback for a moment. I was like, oh, oh, god, is she in this story? <laughs> it feels like they're kind of rectifying this kind of conversation they had in Mine Kun that like couldn't be more than a doujin link. Mm-hmm. Um, by really exploring that deeper and saying like, no, this is where I stand, and it is like this is okay. Like you, and, and granted Murai and, and Mine Kun says like, Mine doesn't have a lack. Right. He doesn't lack for anything yeah. in this world. And I think the same is with Ume. It's just really reinforced and it's great to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. It feels like, um, I don't know. I mean, I, you certainly see this in some writers and I can see it in my own sort of looking back at my own original fiction from when I was younger is that you hit a certain point you say, Oh, I'm going to start toying with this idea of having queer characters, but I can't put them as the protagonist. That would be like overstepping the mark. I'm going to have them in as a side character, as a friend, or maybe a love interest, you know, mm-hmm. having it function as a story where you're, 
your quote-unquote ordinary protagonist is looking at these different characters that you're interested in, but you don't quite feel comfortable stepping into their shoes yet. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of follow the work as as this author develops, which, you know, again, speak, speaking of myself, you will start to see a, a delineation where you hit a certain point where you go, no, no, the, the queer characters start becoming the protagonist. Mm-hmm. You start engaging mm-hmm. with that from, uh, from, from within their shoes. You start seeing the world through that perspective and looking at the different narrative possibilities from there. So... While Mine-kun does sort of have some of its flaws, I, I don't know. I, and again, I don't want to make any assumptions about this creator. Um, you know, they, they themselves say in the author's note that they're not sure either. And I think that's a valid point. But I mean, I don't know. The, it's interesting to see the evolution of the way they're exploring that not sureness is does come with that sort of creative shift in where the perspective lies. Because mm-hmm. that's, yeah. I don't know, it's just, it's something that, again, sort of in a meta way, resonated with me about the story as well as the actual characters and things it contained it's like oh okay so you had mine kun like you said so mine kun ran so that chica could could cartwheel <laughs> and you know oh, you yeah. could have those extra characters and that and that much more developed much more central story about okay what is asexuality actually what does it mean and what you know de- delving into those deeper questions from the perspective of someone that they impact much more um, mm-hmm. centrally and yeah it doesn't necessarily mean that one work is better than the other like I said I sort of see them in conversation and I see them as sort of like unofficial sequels and prequels to one another yeah. um, and as, as a body of work I don't know it makes me really interested to see what the creator is going to do next and to see if we kind of keep exploring these same ideas they're and- definitely growing as an author I would say like and I think they're growing in very positive directions so I appreciated that when this when I first started reading Is Love the Answer, I was like, this is nice, but it feels kind of like a 101 lesson without like characters necessarily. But then the further it gets, the more it really does become a story about the characters. And I also like how I think it pushes on more complex ideas about like identity and the idea of like I think we sometimes have this idea, especially in um like Euro-American cultures of like people have like a single fixed identity that never changes. And like, I I think the idea, I think that it is important. I always hesitate to talk about like, like asexuality is, is an orientation, not an identity to me personally. And I understand why having it as an identity for people is very important for a lot of people. I am personally Mm -hmm. a little, I, I hesitate to to use the concept of identity for it because it just it it's an aspect and I think that in Euro-American cultures that idea of a fixed identity makes it difficult if you do change and I think that I I do I think sexuality and gender can fluctuate. I don't think they do for everybody, yeah. but I think they can for people. And so I I have I have been very hesitant to ascribe labels to myself in a lot of ways because of that sense of like, once you pick the word, that is what you must be. And you live in this box now. And, but go ahead, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I I think, I I mean, like, I I really like that you're saying this because this is something and like, you know, to put it on a personal level, this is why when I talked about coming out, um, I knew I had to do it through anime feminists because I, I had been stuck under this label since when I started writing because like that's who I was but I I think part of what I was trying to do when I wrote that article about my name was like we are all fluid and like Mm -hmm. things are going to fluctuate but I think what is really important is that like we're all fluid and we all go through spectrums nothing is static Mm -hmm. nothing is set in stone and it's really good that we can fluctuate through that because that that is I, I think so much of what queer rights and so much of what LGBTQAI plus rights are doing is is trying to really show that like fluctuation is good and like it is necessary for us to be able to kind of move be able to move through things because like it, it is hard being stuck with a label. It's really it makes it very kind of I don't know if I have the right word for the particular feeling I have, but like being stuck with a label, being stuck with kind of this box that you're in is very limiting in a very specific kind of way. And I think, yeah, like it's, it's important to have that fluctuation. That fluctuation is necessary for being human. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, I think as Love the Answer does a good job of showing how like those labels can be very helpful in terms of helping you like understand yourself. Cause again, Chica sees the words asexual and aromantic and goes, 
oh my God, there's words for this. I'm not just an, I'm not an alien, right? Like this is, this is a thing that actual right. humans can, can be. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to end this call with like, we should just do away with all these labels. Cause I think they can be very important. And certainly that, that moment of going asexuality, huh? Let me look into this. Huh? Well, let me mm-hmm. think about this. Mm-hmm. I think, um, but, but mm-hmm. I, but there's, you know, it's, it's, I think is love the answer does a good job of showing how valuable that can be, but also how there are certain limitations and restrictions to that. And so those conversations they have around, like, we'll just use the words that feel like they fit you the best. And if you need to like, you don't have to, it, it's okay if you're not like a hundred percent exactly what that means. And language is kind of fuzzy mm-hmm. anyway. Cause like, um, Chica has a moment where she's like, oh, I have a crush on an, on an anime character. Does that mean I'm not actually ace? And I'm like, mm, honey, no, you're fine. Um, I love her friend group. I love that she, she finds a community who's very open and supportive of her. Um, but you know, one of her friends is, is a, is a gay man. And he's like, you know, I have, I have experienced like attraction towards women before, but I don't think of my, I think of myself as gay. That is the word that fits for me. And he's like, but I could see how other people, might go, oh, well, that means you're bi. And it's like, well, no, that's not how I see myself. And so that idea of, of labels being a thing to help you navigate the world, maybe more, being more important than like how other people understand that label, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, it's, it, it's, such, oh, yeah, it's, so, it's so personal and individualized. And I think Is Love the Answer does a really good job with that in terms of the ace arrow spectrum, because these characters all experience this in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated that yeah. that element of it and the way it kind of addressed the the linguistic difficulties, I think. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, somebody else feels this. Because I sometimes existing on the internet, it feels like everyone's supposed to like, you know, <laughs> you, you're supposed to tick those check boxes. Oh, what's your gender? What's your sexual orientation? What's your romantic orientation? I'm like, this is a lot of check boxes. My name is D. Can we just like have a conversation? <laughs> Um, can we talk about Pokemon? Yeah. Can we talk about Pokemon <laughs> or basketball or wrestling? Like, there's a lot of things I would rather talk mm-hmm. about. So, and I, yeah, I think it's I kind think, of you go say. I was gonna say, I think what you said about like labels matter, but they also don't. Like, they matter in the way of like I find comfort. I have never been more comfortable than as I as I said, being a AAA. Mm-hmm. Finding that felt very life-saving for me yes and that's but also like i i fully understand if someone was like you know what they don't they don't really they i you know i just vibe with the world cool Mm -hmm. i want i i think i i want there to be space for that because for some people the label matters for some people they don't Mm -hmm. for me having most of my you know official documents have an x on them meant the world to me yeah but for some people it's just not a thing Mm -hmm. and i think like you said like it, it, it feels like sometimes with the internet, there's this very specific competition that I'm losing of like, I, I, I don't know all the labels to apply to me. Right. And I think of like how Gen Z has like card portfolios labeling them. And I'm like, y'all, I'm just black, fat, queer, and disabled. <laughs> like, that's all I got for you. That's all I got for you today. Um, that's why, that's the beautiful thing about umbrella terms. I do love the word queer. It's <laughs> so nice. Face. It's a good yeah, I, I very much enjoy that, you know, to yeah, to apply to myself and to apply to all these different concepts. Cause yeah, you know, I I try to explain it to people as like, okay, hey, it's not a box you put yourself in, it's an umbrella that you are sheltering under mm-hmm. that encapsulates a lot of different ideas. And again, yeah. is love the answer is really quite I don't know, revolutionary in terms of how nuanced it is as it addresses that. Yeah. In everything you just you guys both just said. So I'm not gonna it, repeat it. I couldn't have yeah, put it better myself. This manga feels like to use a word that every millennial learned in college, uh paradigm shift (laughs) it feels like this paradigm shift right it feels like this is the i really hope that this opens up in japan more publishers to putting out this kind of manga to putting out these stories Mm -hmm. that are really diving into two more marginalized sexual identities and gender identities and and identities overall but i really hope that this opens the eyes of like publishers in um, in North America that are already doing the dang thing mm-hmm. and really encourages more of this to come over. Cause I think it's really important. I think it's important to know one from a very Euro influenced view that like other countries are wrestling with this and having these conversations. This is not just a North American thing. Like we did not invent the concept of having conversations about sexuality and gender identity and all of that online other countries are wrestling and having their own conversations with Mm -hmm. that but i think it's just it's just really important 
to to have these things exist in the world just as materials that people can go and see and say I exist and I'm in here. I think that's really, really important. I 100% agree. I totally agree. And Sai, you segued and so perfectly a- into like the into like my final question, <laughs> which was going to be like, what are your <laughs> what are your hopes? How 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 fortuitous, Sai, that you did that. Um, what are your hopes for I'm like so future representation of like Ace and Arrow characters in media? Um, Just more of it basically mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know because because the more we have um the less it falls on any one work to be the asexual book or the aromantic book you know like variety is the spice of life and the more different genres and different types of characters the more you know the more we get all of those just you know that'll just be a net positive for everything mm-hmm. yeah I, I want to see so much more because I want this to become a normal thing. I want I want people to be able to walk into their local Barnes and Nobles, their local independent bookstore, and just be able to see that and have it just feel like a very and I use normal in scare quotes because normal is always a sliding scale in society. Common. You uh, talk about but common, like, right? Like it is common, yeah, commonplace. Yeah, like an, like an everyday experience. Yeah. Like a, yeah, a commonplace experience. I want that to be, like I want someone to be able to see Isekai in another world as an asexual or <laughs> my life as an aromantic in an otome game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I want, I want. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. All right. <laughs> yeah, I want that to exist. <laughs> I I agree with that. I definitely would like to see more, um, I think some more variety, like in terms of characters who are ace, but also, you know, um, like an ace lesbian or, you know, or an, or an aromantic person or an aromantic gay man or, you know, what have you think like, like seeing more of those layers, because I think at this point we mostly get ace arrow or we get, um, ace characters who are, though this was great about Mine. Mine is bi-romantic, which is very cool. Um, but we don't, we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. see a lot of the queer overlap. And I think that would be, that would be really nice to see going forward. I mean, we get it in, again, in coding, there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters you can read as ace lesbians in anime, which is, which is awesome. I love coding, but I would like it to be more like, you know, explicitly upfront stated. I think that would be terrific. Um, and the other thing, which Sai, you touched on with your isekai thing, I, I, I like these stories, like, is love the answer that are these very grounded, like realistic portrayals of like people in the real world. Those are nice. I like fantasy trash and I want to see some ace characters just mm-hmm. like slaying dragons yeah. and hanging out with their buddies, you know, ace and arrow characters. Sorry. I, um, yeah. You can't, you can't underestimate like you as in society, right? Like we can't underestimate the power of just being able to see yourself in, in all sorts of worlds. It's that's how I feel as a black person. Like I like being able to see myself slaying a dragon as a black yeah, exactly. person. I want to see myself slaying a dragon as a, as a triple A. Yeah. 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 More yeah. triple A slaying yeah. dragons. That's our hopes for, fe- for the future. Everybody dragon. <laughs> or become best friends with the dragon. I don't know what I don't know what that dragon's got going on. Yeah. Uh, um <laughs> You know what? That's a good point. <laughs> In another world with my dragon best friend. Yes. <laughs> I would I would read that. Oh. Sounds fun. Yes. I, yeah, very much. I also have I mean I actually have another paper on this if we want to link it, but, um, you know, genre fiction being kind of the final frontier, pun slightly intended, of queer representation is, is also something I have a lot of feels about, which I won't get into now because this is just the ace episode and we're running out of time, <laughs> but I totally agree with that. Yeah. The day that we have like a, a trashy isekai that happens to have an Arrowways protagonist, that will be a benchmark. Yeah. Just hey, yeah. You know? hey trashy isekai, <laughs> no slavery, please. I want to be able to enjoy this. Can we just. Yeah. Please don't make. Pass. Yeah. Asexuality shouldn't be combined with slavery for <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just somewhere a monkey's paw curls. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not that kind of trashy okay. yeah. Anyway. I, I had to add that. The, the more that, that we have. Had to add that addendum because that's the oh, anime world we live in. So oh. That's yeah. the, yep. Oh, dear. <laughs> on that note. Oh, goodness. In another world with my dragon friends. Ending on that note. Um, yeah. Any any other hopes or should I should I play us out here? I, I, you know, I think you're good to play us out. I'm glad that we got to do this. I think, I, I hope that whoever needs to hear this, that they hear it and it maybe makes them feel more every day than, than, than kind of like out there an alien. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like Chica says, maybe we're all aliens, you know, in the darkness of outer space. Um, I can't remember exactly what the line is, but basically she's like, we're all living on our own planet mm-hmm. and expecting mm-hmm. everyone to be homogenous and totally the same is actually 
just baseless. And so we should all celebrate what makes us yeah. individual. And, oh. that, you know, it gives me the warm fuzzies. And that's what I like from manga at the end of the day. So, yeah, yeah thanks for setting this podcast up because it gave me the opportunity to read those two books that I would not necessarily have looked into otherwise. They're, so, they're quite good. Heck yeah. yeah. Go ch- I, th- I think we would. They're quite good. Yeah, like listeners, go check them out if you have not already. Yeah. I know we've talked in depth about them, but there's plenty more to discover. Yeah, I think we'd recommend everything we discussed. So, you know, big, big ups for yeah. all of those. I will throw in that if you read Is Love the Answer and Mine Kun is Asexual, Uta Isaki also has additional all ages and other manga available through Iridori, including um, one that is about children born on leap years. That is really interesting and kind of questions what it means to be human in love, um, as Ooh. well as one about a mermaid trapped in a bottle. And it's, they're all good. They're all good. Go read their works. Cool. That's awesome. So we can get more in America. Heck yeah. yeah. Also on that note, more since we're talking about mangaka who have written about ace characters uh kamatani yuki the writer of our dreams at desk uh hirayath and shonen note are both being published at this moment i'm halfway through the first volume of shonen note i'm liking mm-hmm. it a lot so support you know support ace mangaka especially when ace arrow mangaka especially when they're really good which kamatani is so okay is it is it time for me to do the outro guys you got it so let's do it all right let's round it out we hope you've enjoyed this episode of chatty af if you like what you heard Tell your friends about us. And if you really liked what you heard, why not head over to patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a patron. We have three tiers starting at the low, low price of $1 a month, which gets you monthly site updates and staff recommendations. Or if you enjoy podcasts like this one, consider our $5 tier, which gets you a new bonus podcast and bonus transcript every month, as well as access to our private Discord server, where you can geek out with fellow feminist-minded anime and manga fans. We also have a store, animefeminist.com backslash store, where you can find cute and cool merch for the progressive geek on the go. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, you can check us out at animefeminist.com or on Tumblr, Twitter, and Mastodon at Anime Feminist. And that's the show. Go read good Ace Arrow manga, and we will catch you next time.